prayer list. We pray about our service tonight. So, Father in heaven, we do give you praise and glory. We ask you to forgive us for our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. Give us ears to hear. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Father, may you be glorified tonight in our learning, in our faith, uh, in our fellowship, Lord. Father, we hold every single person that's on this prayer list uh, tonight. You know what they need, Father. If they need healing, we pray that you provide healing. And uh, if they need salvation, Lord, just bring that to each one, Lord, so that they can make a very important decision. Father, there's so many needs here represented. But Lord, we take just a couple of seconds of silent prayer to give you our special request, Lord. Father, please uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can understand what we're hearing and studying tonight. We do ask that, Lord God, you would honor your promise that's given in Revelation chapter 1, that he that hears, reads, and does the words of this book will receive a special blessing. In Romans, it says that faith comes through hearing of your word. And Father, we're going to hear your word tonight. We pray for faith to be able to believe and be more faithful. And Father, we thank you for everything that you're doing and done and will do. Lord, bless each person in here tonight. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, my friends, we are in Revelation chapter 19. Um, um, Roy, can you want to turn that little switch on right here on the other place? Thank you. That was a little dark in here. Um, ah, creative abilities. Um, you know, when we think about the book of Revelation, and we look back now, we're in chapter 19. We've studied 18 chapters and no. It's amazing. You can study the book of Revelation. You can get a lot out of it. And you can walk away thinking, how much more is there that I don't get? Right? And there really is a lot. I mean, there's just a lot to this book. But in chapter 16, 17, and 18 especially, we're seeing the winding down of the world's System, the world system of commerce, politics, religion. It's worldly and it's of this world. And you know, Jesus himself said, You are in the world, but you're not of the world. And we're going to see in chapter 19 that Jesus Christ is going to settle the soul. You know, our Father, which is in heaven, sacred is your name, uh, your kingdom is coming. May your will be done on this earth just as it is done in heaven. Now that's not happening right now, but it will happen when Jesus Christ takes the throne uh, and gets really judges evil and gets rid of the evil. Can you imagine what this world, this earth would be like without evil? What a nice place. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to imagine, isn't it? People being nice to each other. You, you, you turn on the evening news and it's all good. You're like, wow. Man, I like watching news now. Uh, so when we get to chapter 19 here, we're going to see that <clears throat> there's great praise in heaven by the residents of heaven that this earthly system is being judged. You know, it, it amazes me the stuff that goes on today. In Revelator, in uh, Romans chapter 1, it says that as time goes on, people's thinking will be of a reprobate mind. Do you know what reprobate means? It's what? 
Well, a reprobate mind cannot distinguish good from evil or evil from good. In fact, they will call what's good evil and what's evil good. And we're seeing that totally in the world today, and especially it seems like in our country, aren't we? You know, a, 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 a baker does not want to bake a cake for a same-sex couple. It's his business, and that's bad. You know, uh, it... Well, yeah, I mean, the world looks like it. The world is uh, The world says that, oh, we should be tolerant. Well, you know what? It's his business. He, you know, if, if he doesn't want to, you know, serve blonde-haired people, he should have to, sorry. Uh, we've got a few blondies in here. Um, you know, it, 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 can you see today where things are backward? Okay. The good is being called evil, and the evil is being called good. My aunt on my father's side told me that she was born with that with that homosexual side. So it's not a choice; it's automatically he was born with it. And he was when I. Well, Christians are supposed to hate. No, we're not. But she believes, along with others, they believe that because we're Christian, we're supposed to be okay with the bisexual relationship. We can't hate. We can't hate that choice. We can't see how so can 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 we all understand this? First of all, we, we understand that God is perfect. Okay, there is no imperfections in God. His integrity is of the utmost high. He cannot compromise his integrity and still be God and still be perfect. That's why God can only accept perfection which none of us have. That's the reason through Jesus Christ we have that perfection because he is perfect. And, um, you know, God just doesn't turn a blind eye and say, yeah, you know, I know, it. it's okay, don't worry. God doesn't do that. Righteousness and justice with God and purity and holiness is every bit as important as his love and his generosity his provision and protection. God is everything. He is the most right, okay, thus righteous, the most right person in the universe. And so we're going to see that this world's system is going to be declared um, uh, it's what? Obsolete. Obsolete. Thank you. Yeah, that's good. Let's go to 19.1, okay? Revelation 19.1. John writes down, it says, after this, well, after what? Well, after what I just told you. The commercial system, the religious system, the worldly system is now being judged, okay? After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heavens shouting. Now, if you can imagine the great multitude in heaven shouting, that's got to be kind of a big shout, you would think, right? There's a lot of noise in heaven. I don't know if you guys, if you guys uh, realize that from reading the book of Revelation, but there's always some kind of praising or singing or shouting or 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 just... I heard a good one today. You know what's um, echoing? My, I don't hear that kid. One of my relatives has a relative that is a very uh, mean person. Okay? Got me in control of everything. Do you know what his grandkids call him? A fun sponge. 
because he soaks up all the fun. Uh, and so in heaven, there's just going to be a lot of fun. It says in 19, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute. The great prostitute, I believe, is probably the wife, if you will, the wife of Satan. I know that sounds weird, but if you think about it, Israel is the wife of, of God, although they're estranged right now. The church is the bride of Christ, right? Satan is a counterfeiter, a masquerader, so he's got to have a bride. And this prostitute, which is the false religious system, which we're seeing today, it's, it, it's, it was inspired, if you will, uh, in the plain of Shinar at the Tower of Babel. And um, we're going to see that that probably is where it's going to end also, because in Revelation 18, it says that Babylon, okay, is that the actual city of Babylon that's in Iraq? Will that be rebuilt? Will that be a world commercial center at some point in time? You know, it's interesting because we, you know, if you watch anything about archaeology on television, okay, and I, I, when I was a kid, I hated history, I hated archaeology, I hated all that stuff, and now it's finding it very fascinating, right? Okay, very fascinating. There have been cities that were incredible during their time that are now laying under sand. All right? And they're discovering it all the time. Some of these uh, huge cities in the Central Americas, the uh, Aztec cities, the, the all of us, these were, these were kingdoms, if you will. And so is it possible that Babylon could be rebuilt in Iraq in a fairly short period of time and made into a commercial center? Well, of course it could. You know, I mean, it could. Is Babylon a code name for some other city? Maybe. But what city? Jerusalem? Rome? What? Um, we probably never will find out. Now, if you do see in the newspaper or on TV the, that, that they've, they've uh, started rebuilding Babylon, okay, we need to really kind of be checking that out cheery because that means it's coming soon. Okay? So they are they are being very thankful that Babylon and that world system has been judged or is being judged. Yes. So according to what you're talking to, I also remember the scripture out of Daniel, Daniel two thirty one fifty six it says, What you saw of me is a huge standing is a huge statue standing before you, striking in appearance and terrifying. The head of the statue was pure gold, the chest and arms were silver, and the belly and hips were bronze. The legs were iron, and the feet were iron cast, or iron cement. So, I remember being this, the Nebuchadnezzar was having drinks when they were out. Daniel came up after talking about it. Daniel came up and said, you know, hey, there is a connection. Yeah. You know, and in Daniel, the scripture that she quoted, uh, it talks about the great massive stone that comes and smashes all the other kingdoms. Remember that? Okay, that stone is the kingdom of Christ, or Christ, which will completely replace all worldly kingdoms, and Christ will set up his kingdom. It has been promised that Christ is going to set up his kingdom. Let's keep going. It says, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, or true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute, or that worldly system who corrupted the earth by her adulteries, 
is avenged on her the blood of his servants. There's going to be quite a persecution in, during the, the tribulation period, and it has already started. You know, it's amazing when you can watch television and you can see these ISIS people marching Coptic Christians in orange suits to the desert, and they cut the throats of these Christians. The persecution has started, and it's only going to get worse, and it's going to reach its zenith here in the tribulation. Verse 3, and again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her, the system, goes up forever and ever. That speaks of eternal judgment. The 24 elders, that's from chapter 4 in Revelation, they are a special um, a special worshiper, if you will, around the throne. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. If you do not know what the 24 elders and four living creatures are, then go to Revelation chapter 4, and it will give it a little bit better explanation. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. So they're looking forward now. These praises are looking forward to the marriage of the Lamb. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the loud peals of thunder, shouting. So there's still more shouts. Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. So here's what's going to happen according to the way we understand it. Okay? We are living in the church age now. Here's the beginning of the church age. That started when? No. Pentecost. That started at Pentecost. The crucifixion happened during the age of the law. Okay? Jesus Christ came and preached during the age of the law or during the age of Israel. That's why it was mandatory for him to keep the law perfectly. See, the law is like a mirror. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do that. Thou shalt. And, you know, people look at the law. I'm not, I don't murder. I don't dishonor my mother and father. I I don't take the Lord's name in vain. Do you covet the four-wheel drive of your next-door neighbor? Yeah. <laughs> okay. The Bible says when you've broken one law, you have broken a law. Broken a law. Why? Well, it defines a lawbreaker. You know, I may not go out and murder the guy across the street, but if I do 70 miles an hour down Main Street and hit Eagle Point, I'm still a lawbreaker, okay? And Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly. So we've got the beginning of the church age, if you will, the end of the law. When I say the end of the law, Jesus Christ fulfilled every point of the law perfectly. So now he becomes, okay, Jesus Christ becomes the law for us, keeping the law. Does that make sense? Okay. We are keeping the law because we've been forgiven for our sins. We've been cleansed for all unrighteousness. God says, I, I, I've, I've taken your sins as far as the east is from the west. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I won't get into the brands of sin, but, you know, I'll... I'll do something or say something or think something that I just absolutely know is not right, right? And then I confess it to God, Lord, please forgive me for this sin or whatever. And I I will keep convicting myself of it. A day later, I'm still, Lord, I'm sure sorry I did that yesterday. God did what? God has forgotten it in Christ. That's why 
it's very important, in my opinion, to keep a very short list with God. Confess your sin as soon as you do it, as soon as you think it, whatever. Because uh, at that point in time, there's nothing there now for God to, you know, to judge. I mean, it's all been judged. Now, so the end of the church age is going to end at the rapture. Okay? So you've got Pentecost to the rapture. After the rapture, which is right here, the last seven years, and we studied this in uh, Daniel chapter 9, okay? The last seven unfulfilled years of the age of Israel begin after. You see, here is the age of Israel, right? Or the age of the law, if you want to. And the church age is inserted in there as a parenthesis. So, 483 years of the uh, age of Israel took place until Pentecost, church age, until rapture, last seven years of the age of Israel happens during the tribulation. That's why we can be assured we're not going to be here for it because it's, it's the last part of the age of Israel. It's not the last part of the church age. We are church age believers. When God is done with the church age, he takes his ambassadors out of the world. We're gone. Now, what happens then? Well, the seven years of the tribulation happen, all right? And at the end of that is what we're going to be reading here in chapter 19. Jesus Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation. And so what happens during those seven years to us? Well, when we die, okay, when the rapture happens, when all the church age saints, yes, I'm talking about you, okay, <laughs> when we are gone from the face of the earth, in Corinthians, it tells us that we're going to be judged at Christ's judgment seat. This is not the great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter um, 22. This is Christ's judgment. Now, will we be judged for sins? No. I on that one, didn't I? <laughs> no. Sins have already been judged. Where were they judged? On the cross. Jesus Christ said, it is finished. It's done. Sin is no longer the issue for the believer. It's been done. Now, what are we going to be judged for? We're going to be judged for our works here on the face of this earth. And it says, in fact, let's read it, okay? And I believe it's, it's either 1 Corinthians 3 or 2 Corinthians 3. Let's see. Let's see how close I can And this is very important because, you know, we want to know what's going to happen. It is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it starts in, let's start in... Uh, verse 9, okay? First Corinthians 3, 9. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, For we are God's fellow workers. He's speaking of the Apostles. You are God's field, God's building. In, in the book of Peter, it talks us about being living stones in God's building. In verse 10, Paul says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. He calls himself an expert builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. So now Paul's going to talk about the foundation in, chapter, in verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ, Right? That is the foundation of our faith. That is the foundation of salvation. Verse 12. If any man builds on this foundation, now how do we build on the foundation? Well, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right, you're born again. Okay? You're born again, and you cannot be unborn. Okay? I mean, it's just, when God... 
gives you the gift of salvation, he does not take it away from you because you're a bad person. Okay? If he did, none of us would be saved. He'd be very lonely in heaven. Okay? So we have the gift of salvation. Now, what do we do with that gift? You see, God has given each one of us gifts. You might have the gift of encouragement, the gift of giving money. You might have the gift of teaching or something. You know, there's there's a lot of different gifts, and God expects us to use the gift or gifts that he's given us. You know, some people have the gift of patience. They're, some people have the gift of encouragement. You know, some people have the gift of giving, not necessarily money, but time, energy, whatever. And that's what makes us a family. I can't live without your gifts. And you can't live without my gift. We are all gifted for each other, not for ourselves. Not one of God's gifts, including the gift of tongues, okay, was given for anybody's personal enjoyment. Do we get personal enjoyment out of it? Absolutely. When I encourage somebody, I'm encouraged. When I counsel somebody and they feel better, I feel better. So the gifts may not be given for our enjoyment, but we do get enjoyment out of it. Not only do we get enjoyment out of it, but there's reward involved in it. That's what this is talking about. We're going to come before Jesus Christ at that judgment seat. We are going to see him in his glory. We're going to see the physical wounds on his body. We are going to bow before him, and he is going to give out rewards. There are certain crowns that he's going to give. I mentioned last week that there is a crown just for looking forward to the coming of Christ. That's what it says in, in I believe it's in the book of, either, I think it's in the book of Timothy. So, with that background, let's take a look at this. It says, if any man builds on this foundation, so this is the works, this is what you're building your Christian life on, the foundation being Jesus Christ, okay? If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. How is it going to bring it to light? It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So there will be a smoking and non-smoking section in heaven. Okay. Uh, people who used wood, hay, and stubble, when that fire comes, that's going to be burned up. What's an example of wood, hay, and stone? So, okay, so let me give it to you. Huh? Gravel? Wood, hay, and stone? Gravel? She's a redhead. You gotta give her, you know, the gravel. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about gravel later today. Um, so, let's just say that as a Christian, I do things for show. Okay? When I let me give an example. The Pharisees. Remember when the woman put the mite, all she had in the offering plate? I don't know if you knew this or not, but the Pharisees would give the, their offerings with coins. And they wouldn't just like just put the coins in. They would take the coins and go. So you could hear all the coins. They weren't doing that because they wanted to give to God. They were doing that because they wanted the people to hear how much they were giving. Right? That is an example of wood, hay, or straw. Doing the dishes back here without anybody asking you. Uh, talking to somebody about the Lord or taking time out to just listen to somebody. That's an example of gold, silver, 
and precious stones. And that's what will survive. You see, when it describes the glorified Christ it, at the transfiguration moments, okay, and in Revelation chapter 1, it talks about his eyes being flaming fire, doesn't it? Now, if we think about fire, right? Fire can either destroy, burn things up, or fire can warm, can't it? I think about a campfire, right? When you have when you're on a campfire, right? Because it's nice, it's cozy, it's warm, it's taut, it's good feeling, blah, blah, blah. But boy, when we have fire season around here, you know, we got to pray that there's pray that there's no lightning on this this next storm. Um, fire can destroy. So this is my perspective. Okay, we come before Jesus Christ, before His throne, in His glory, His eyes are flame of fire. That fire sees through each one of us, and it sees through our works our motives, etc. And whatever motives or works we did that were not of God, those will be done away with. They will be burned up. And what's left will be the precious stones, gold and silver, etc. The neat part about it, well, I guess this is neat, but it's it's good, it's comforting, where it says that even if your works are all burned up, You yourself will be saved as one escaping the flames. You see, God will not burn us up. God has not appointed us to receive wrath, it says, but has appointed us to receive salvation. You know, it's hard for us to understand that God, in his love, wanted to save our souls. He wants to save our souls. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should be saved. That's his will. Now, unfortunately, that requires our signature on the contract, and there's a lot of people that want to sign up. Let's go back to Revelation chapter. So when we when the world is going through this tribulation, we are going to be prepared. For the wedding feast of the Lamb and the wedding of the Lamb. We are the bride. The church is the bride of the Lamb. That is going to happen sometime after Jesus Christ comes back. That would be my guess. Why? Because he wants to include everybody in that wedding. Okay? The friend, what did John the Baptist say? I am not the bridegroom, but I am a friend of the bridegroom. And we're going to see that there is a, a bride at this wedding. Do you ever invite a bride to a wedding? Hey, uh, we're getting married Saturday. Was like, <laughs> no! You invite friends of the bridegroom and bride. Who are the friends of the bridegroom and bride? Who are the friends of the church? All the Old Testament saints. All the tribulation saints, they are the friends of the bridegroom. John Baptist, that's exactly what he said. Revelation chapter 19, so we're in, I'm going to repeat verse uh, 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. This um, this is the, the actual wedding ceremony of Jesus Christ. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. You know, don't buy into this doctrine that says, oh man, once you're saved, you can do anything you want. What, you know, God can't take your salvation, God's not going to take your salvation away from you, so you can do, you know, hey, what the heck? Let's eat, drink, and be married. 
right? No, no, you know, God expects us to behave ourselves according to the way he has outlined in his book. It says, verse 9, Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. That would be the friends of the bridegroom. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Did you know that in the New Testament there were ten times that Jesus was worshipped and not one of those times did he say, don't worship me? Not one of those. The first commandment given in Exodus chapter 25 is what? Worship the Lord God and him only. Now, if Jesus Christ isn't God come in the flesh, right, then Jesus Christ was receiving worship illegally. He was, he is God, huh? He is God come in the flesh. Now, he says here, and I love this verse, it says, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does, you know, what does that mean? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we see really the first prophecy, what was, does anybody know what the first prophecy given in the Bible is? The first prophecy was given to Adam. The first prophecy was given to Adam and Eve and consequently to all people that were born and says this, and let's read it, Genesis 3.16, okay? It's the very first prophecy. What well, point I want to make to you is this. Every single prophecy in the entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, points to Jesus Christ. Every single one. Okay? In some way, shape, or form. Prophecy is the testimony about Jesus. It says here in Revelation chapter 3, verse um, 14. Let's go up a little bit. This is so much fun. So Adam was told not to eat the apple. He probably told Eve, don't eat the apple. God said, don't eat the apple. I don't know if Eve was present when God told Adam not to eat the apple, right? Or the fruit. So, in verse 11, or verse 10, uh, let's start in verse 8. Then the man and his wife, that would be Adam and Eve, Heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit, they have sinned. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You know, sin causes us to hide from God, doesn't it? But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? Like God didn't know. Okay. <laughs> he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, God, this is God, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now we're going to see the blame game. Okay? Here comes the blame game. It's a new sitcom developed in the Garden of Eden. The man said, the woman you put me here with me, she gave me something of the fruit to eat and I ate. Really? Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, Well, the servant deceived me, so I ate. So the Lord said to the servant, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity okay, between you and the woman. There is enmity between men and women, right? And between uh, Satan and woman. And between your offspring, well first of all it's all unbelievers, right? Yes. And in this case 
it would be Satan's son or the Antichrist, okay? Who is God's offspring? Well, God's offspring obviously is Jesus Christ and all those who believe in Christ. Now, I will put enmity between your offspring, that's Satan's offspring, and hers, that would be Jesus and consequently believers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He, that would be the woman's offspring, offspring, Jesus, will crush your head. What do you do when you crush a, crush a snake's head? They kill it, huh? Yeah. But he will strike his heel. And when did that happen? At the cross, huh? Absolutely. You know, Satan is so deceived that when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, he probably thought he won. He really did. He probably thought, oh, this is awesome. He's going to die. This is going to be done. And, uh, of course, that didn't happen. It says, to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing, and in pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife, <laughs> to Adam, he <laughs> oh, I'm going to get in trouble <laughs> I think the woman might be outnumbering the men here, so I better be careful. To the woman, okay, uh, see, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and unto dust you will return. So the very first prophecy is Genesis 3, 6, uh, 3.15, when he speaks about this Savior, or this offspring of the woman, that will crush Satan's head. Back to Revelation, okay? Let's finish up. Revelation chapter 19. So, let me repeat verse 10. At this I fell to his feet to worship him. This is an angel. We don't worship angels. We don't worship the, the apostles. We don't worship Mary. We don't worship any of that stuff. We respect them, of course. But we don't worship them. We only worship God through Jesus Christ, Son of God. It says, uh, I felt in this feet to worship him, but he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's interesting. Worship God. So what is the testimony of Jesus? For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Verse 11, I saw heaven standing open. We see this, the other time we saw this was in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, where John saw heaven standing open, and the voice said, come up here. I saw heaven standing open. Now somebody, instead of somebody going into heaven, i.e. John, somebody's coming out of heaven. It says, I saw heaven standing open there before me, and there was a white horse, okay? Remember in Matthew chapter 21 when Jesus rode in uh, to Jerusalem on what? On a donkey or a young foal. Now he's riding on a white horse which symbolizes power, victory. All of the kings in, well I should say all, but probably all of the kings or most of the kings when they would come back from a great victory they would ride into their respective cities on a white horse. And behind them would be the slaves that they had captured along with the booty. So the white horse is sim symbolic of power and authority, etc. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and makes war. You see, we don't judge 
and make war with justice, do we? We just don't. We're just not perfectly righteous. God can be perfectly angry. We can't. It's really hard for us to be perfectly angry. It says he, uh, his eyes are like what? Blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. I really don't think that there are many crowns on Jesus' head. Literal fire. But he's not trying to balance all these crowns. You know what I mean? <laughs> I believe this speaks of authority. Jesus Christ has great authority. Because that's what crowns represent. He says... He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. That's very interesting. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. John chapter 1. In fact, let's, let's go to it real quick, okay? John, the, book of the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Remember, John is the same John that's writing Revelation. John is really the only one in the Bible that refers to Jesus as the Word of God. It says in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word. Okay, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, now personalizes the Word, He, the Word, was with God in the beginning. Through Him, through who? Through the Word. All things were made, without him nothing was made that had been made. In him, how do we know we're speaking about Jesus? Keep reading. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Then it talks about John. Then it goes into verse 10. He, that would be the word, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That would be the Jewish people. Yet to all who received him, to those he believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, Father, full of grace and truth. And then you keep going on down and it speaks of Jesus Christ. So, to understand how this all works, because you see, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons do not believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. They will say that they believe he's the son of God. He's not God coming in flesh. Well, think about this for just a minute. My words that I'm speaking now are me, right? They're me. Your words are you. God has a word, and by that word, he created everything. He spoke it, if you will, into existence. His word, at that point, was the spoken word, wasn't it? Okay. When Jesus Christ was born, the word became flesh. God's word became a human being, a supernatural design. Jesus Christ is the word of God, the son of God, he is God come in flesh. Now, so we have the spoken word, which created the worlds. We have the living word, which is Jesus Christ. And we have the written word, which is what we're holding in our laps. Okay? What a plan. What an amazing plan. Well, let's continue on. See who this writer is. It says, verse 13, he is dressed, I mean, Revelation 19, 13. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Now, we don't know whether this blood is the blood, uh, blood of war, which I'm assuming it is, because Jesus Christ is, has come to conquer evil. It says he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is what? Lord God. Does that all make sense now? 
it says, The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. In other words, that would be us coming back with Christ, and the white linen is the fact that by his life, his death, resurrection, and intercession, he has been made perfectly righteous. Okay? We are righteous in God's and the life of Jesus Christ. Now, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Is there really a sword coming out of his mouth? No. This sword is the word of God. It says in the Bible, the word of God is a precision instrument. It's like a surgeon's scalpel. It's able to divide asunder between the body and the soul, the joints and the marrow, etc. etc. The word of God can can do physical, mental, and spiritual work. It says here, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword which with with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Jesus Christ is the unique person of the universe. There is no one in the universe like Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because there is no God-man. Okay? There is no word of God become flesh. We, it says in the Bible, are brothers of Christ, joint heirs with Christ, but he is the unique person of the universe. Now, verse 17, and I saw, so this is an eyewitness account, I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried out in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come, gather together for the great supper of God. Well, we see the wedding supper of the Lamb, right? The wedding feast of the Lamb. This is the great supper of God, which is involving unbelievers. Okay? It says here, flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat, he's talking to the birds, may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and of the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. In the book of Ezekiel, I believe it is, somewhere around chapter 38, it says that after the war, it will take uh, seven months to bury the dead, something like that. Now, that may be speaking about the war of God and Magog. But anyway, God calls birds of the air because there's going to be great carnage here. You know, it's like they say on television on some shows, we recommend that you uh, watch, th that if, if you're sensitive to certain issues that you do not watch this, or if you have children of a certain age that, you know, because they show stuff, we could we could give that same warning here, okay? Just says, verse 19, Then I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, or the instead of Christ, and the kings of the earth, these are the kings that gave their allegiance to that beastly system, gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. Now, how stupid can you get? Pretty stupid. Let's see. I see this rider coming out from heaven with a multitude of saints riding with him. The guy's got eyes, they're a flame of fire. He's got burnished bronze for feet. He's got a gold, golden sash on his chest. He's got a sharp sword coming out of his mouth, and I'm gonna point my BB gun at him. <laughs> really? Boy, you are really stupid. You know, the one thing about Satan you can say is he's very deceived. Satan actually thinks he can win. 
That's deception. Let's read the deception. So here's what it says. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. Read Revelation chapter 13 to give you a little better idea of that. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. Revelation chapter 13. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The, yeah, yeah. The rest of them, that would be the kings, etc., were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Now think about this for just a minute. If God can create the stars, the moon, the sun, the heavens, the earth, human beings, life, etc., with his word and speak into existence, when Jesus Christ comes back, all he's going to have to do is speak the word. And they're going to be dead. They're going to be gone. He could, he could say nothing more than <laughs> well, he may say that. I don't know. Uh, but you know, I mean, so what part are we playing in this? Are we going to be fighting? No, this is this, the battle is who? The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. You know, you could see, you could, you could say, well, you know, here we are. We've gone to heaven now, coming back with Christ. Isn't that going to be sad for us to see such carnage? Let me tell you, do you think it's sad? <laughs> little desk at the boat ramp there at the Lost Creek Lake. Five bucks for counsel. Probably make a couple months salary in a day. All God's going to have to do is just say the word. Jesus Christ is just going to say the word and it's going to be done. Period. And you know what? When we see the evil being taken out, that will be a satisfaction. We're not, we are not being satisfied to see death, but we're satisfied to see the end of evil. I can't wait for evil to end. I can't wait for evil to end in this whole thing right here. Right? You know, I, I, you know, I don't worry. We're going to be different anyway. I always said, let's go up with him and get chains in the air. The air is just a chain probably. You won't be thinking the same. You won't be thinking the same. That's exactly it. Thank you. Okay, now. Oh, we finished that chapter, didn't we? Time is over. <laughs> Let's do a preview of coming attractions, okay? Uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. And I'm just going to read it. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss. We saw the abyss back in, I believe it was Revelation 9 or 10. And the angel had the key and he opened the, the door to the abyss and the scorpions came out. It says, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having a key to the abyss. So that this abyss probably is in the heart of the earth somewhere. That should be my guess. And holding in his hand a great chain, he seized the dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan. That ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss. Yay. And locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set short or must be set free for a short time. And you might ask, wait a minute. I thought we were done with this evil stuff. Okay, think about this for just a minute, okay? The people that go from the tribulation 
Christian people or the followers of Christ that go from the tribulation into the millennium. They are the ones that will populate the millennium. Are y'all kind of clear on that? Okay. So when the tribulation ends, what happens to all the unbelievers? Okay. Christ is going to take care of them. But we've got believers, living believers. They are going to go into the millennium, which is a thousand years. That's what mille means. Okay, a thousand. Where Christ is going to rule and reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem for a thousand years. That's where he's going to rule the nations with the rod of iron. Okay? That doesn't mean that he's going to be a fun sponge. Okay? But that he is going to rule everything the right way. Or with righteousness, right? Now, uh, so what's going to happen to those believers, men and women, during the millennium? Well, they're going to have kids, right? Sure, that's when the lion is going to lay down with the lamb, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's all millennial talk. The kids are going to have kids. A thousand years—I mean, that's a lot of years for people to have kids. Somewhere along the line, and the life ex expectancy is going to be extended at that point, and like it was back at the early uh, days of, of humanity. Undoubtedly, some of those kids are going to have to be have to have a choice between worshiping God or not worshiping God. And when Satan is left let out of the abyss for that very short period of time. That's when he is going to deceive the nations again, or deceive whoever can be deceived. And whoever can be deceived will be deceived. And at the end of that thousand years, all unbelievers, all evil, all etc. like that will be done away with. And then we'll go to heaven. Heaven will be eternity. And it's going to be an awesome party. No more pity parties. No more fun sponges. Okay? It's going to be pretty cool. And you know, I told you before, <coughs> Jesus Christ spoke way more about hell than he did about heaven. Why? Well, first of all, how do you describe heaven? How do you describe something that's indescribable? Now, hell, when we think about outer darkness, when we think about the gnashing of teeth, when we think about uh, hellfire, etc., we can identify with some of that because we've gnashed our teeth. April 15th, I gnash my teeth every year. Okay. Uh, then all of us have been burned, probably by a stove or a campfire or something. So we can identify with those things. And, and in our minds, we can think, wow, that's really bad. But it's really hard to identify with the perfect environment because we simply don't have it yet. Adam had it. Eve had it. They let it go. They not only let it go, but they gave it away. God's going to restore that in the millennium, and we're going to be able to experience that basically for all eternity. So next week we'll finish up the book of Revelation, okay? Chapter 20, 21 and 22. <laughs> Uh, next week, next weekend, next Wednesday is the July, that would be July 3rd. How many of you are in town for that weekend? Well, let me, let me ask you this. How many of you are going out there? See ya. No. <laughs> We're going to be ya. Uh, okay, so we'll have Bible study. Is everybody all right with that? I mean, you know, does everybody have, you know, if you can't make it, you can't make it. You can break the can. And then uh, the next week after that, which will be July 10th, we'll start our study in the book of Hebrews. Let me tell you just a little bit about Hebrews. It's very interesting. Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians, which is weird. And it talks about the law. It talks about how Christ overcame the law. How Christ is our high priest. It's really a very technical book. 
but it will help you to understand the Old Testament a lot better when we study the book of Hebrews. And it's, it's a beautiful book. We don't know who wrote it. Uh, there's conjecture about that, so we'll be talking about that. So next week, we'll finish up Revelation. <laughs> we may be here till 10. Uh, and then the week after, we'll uh, do an introduction to Hebrews, and that'll be a fun book. Okay? Sure, but let's pray. So, Father in heaven, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you that we are not appointment. We do not have an appointment with your anger, but we have an appointment with your salvation. That's very, very comforting to our hearts, Lord. And we thank you for that, Father. And Lord Jesus, thank you for your courage and your obedience, your faithfulness, your purity and holiness, your perseverance, your provision and protection. Lord Jesus, you are indeed our hero. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for everything. Bless every single person in here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'll be around for a few minutes if you have any questions. Or if you have any answers for me. I'd like that to answer.